My name is Jake. I wanted to tell you, make this message, because if anything happens to me and any of my friends, somebody needs to know what's going on. I can't tell you where I live or my last name. You just have to trust me that what I'm talking about is real. This is a real place, a real town. It may even be your town. Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, a podcast dedicated to the weekly discussion of K. Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name's Coleman. And my name's Mitchell. So, we have a lot to talk about tonight. Quite a bit to go through. Yeah, I guess. Book 7, The Stranger. Well, we have that. We have some emails. We have some future oh, plans. Yeah, we finally got emails. <laughs> emails. We blew up Reddit. We had tons of stuff happening. <laughs> we blew up on Reddit. We didn't blow up Reddit. We destroyed their servers with our great Animorphs podcasting talent. I wouldn't go that far, although we have gotten quite a few more uh, hits and downloads than I'd anticipated, so that's good. Keep up the listening. <laughs> Something about episode six, I think that was just maybe a fan favorite book, or um, I'm not sure what happened, but people were into it. That's good. I was into book six. Yeah. Well, no, we were too. It was two five, five out of five reviews. Book six, The Capture, really captured my heart. And my soul. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, I just, I, I really want to do a quick update here to mention because, you know, so many people cared. I, I just got an outpouring of emails and and uh, messages coming in about people caring about me losing my wedding ring. But uh, I, I got it back. I found it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was not in a pile of dog poop, as we had suspected worried <laughs> it was laying on the uh, ground in my garage totally don't know how it got there but <laughs> you didn't take it off in your garage or anything no why would i no no hmm. the only thing i can think of is it must have flew off my hand as i was getting out of or into my car well maybe maybe you were right with one of your animals picking it up and they just took it down there they can't get into the garage they get in there every time you go in and out. They don't have roach morphs that they're sneaking through the walls in. Anyway, well, that's that's great. I'm glad that the actual ring from your wedding is now back on your finger. Just maybe maybe uh, get it resized or something so that it doesn't happen. I'll try. I, I will bind it shut with uh, pliers around my finger. Anyway, what else, what else you got? So book seven, I would I would clarify this as, as a uh, kind of a time travel book. And, uh, there is really... some light time traveling. Some light time. Most of the 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 action here in this book revolves around time travel. I so. think you could make a strong argument for this being an illusion. <laughs> yeah, that's that's possible. But it's a it's a time illusion. If it's they're one illusions, of them. Michael. <laughs> Tricks are something a cheap whore does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no uh it's a time travel book in my mind i don't i don't care and i'm sure a lot of other people would would consider this a time travel book as well this is the first time the animorphs are witnessing a future lost in time <laughs> tossed in time um and yeah i mean you of all people my man should know how much i i love time travel stories uh I'm aware of specifically it. back to the future why don't you go ahead and tell everyone what my uh, tattoo is? Back to the future. Yeah. 
I'll give you credit. You're not into it. <laughs> no, 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 I'll give you credit. Uh, I'm, I've got a tattoo myself, and I'm all about people getting unique tattoos that are, you know, representations of what they're really into or really care about, and you took yours to the next level. Not only did you get it big enough that it actually, it wasn't like something you were trying to hide. I mean, it is, it is definitely a part of who you are, so it's a, it's a huge back to the future tattoo on your is it your left arm or your right arm it is my right shoulder your right shoulder or, no I, I it's my bicep yeah, yeah. i just want it it's to be big enough shoulder. that it kind of covers both <laughs> uh but uh and not only did you you get a huge awesome back to the future tattoo with the delorean and everything on it but it's based off of the uh video game art from the cover of one of the older video games correct yeah which I, I wouldn't say that's exclusive video game art for the, the Nintendo. Yeah, that, that, that was from the NES Back to the Future game. I think that was, I think that was you know, concept art for the film that they just happened to use for the video game cover. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's a pretty unique design. And that's oh, definitely, yeah. I, I haven't seen it really anywhere else. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm all for that. I mean, I, I love Back to the Future. Oh, coincidentally, man, I didn't even think about this, but I have that same picture saved as my desktop wallpaper right now. <laughs> nice. That's so weird. So it's like when I when I turn on my laptop, it's like I'm looking at my tattoo. Yeah. So, yeah, being all into time travel movies, are you going to get the right bicep with a giant, like, primer tattoo or something? No, I'm going to get I'm gonna get the uh, book cover from The Stranger tattooed right on my left bicep. Just... <laughs> Rachel morphing grizzly. No one's gonna know what it means. <laughs> I should get a giant uh, alien tattoo. I saw somebody had one. It looked like their chest, like the chestburster was coming out of their chest, but it was a tattoo. But it was really well done, so it was like shaded, so it almost looked three D. Pretty cool. Oh, you know, I I love tattoos, and I plan on getting at least two more. Um, I would not even be above getting an animorphs tattoo. I think I think. The right artist could design something cool enough that I would not mind putting on my body. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm i all for tattoos as well. I like the idea of constantly updating mine and maybe adding to it a little more rather than getting a ton of tattoos. Because right now, listeners, I right now have uh, the top of the Ark of the Covenant on my left arm, my forearm, underneath. And it's uh, it's pretty subtle. It's not like it doesn't have Indiana Jones splashed across it or anything. It's just the top of the Ark of the Covenant with uh, the throne of God. Uh, yeah, with the yours two... is super subtle. Like, no one would even know what it comes from if they're not a, you know, diehard Indiana Jones fan. Whereas mine says in huge letters, Back to the Future on it. <laughs> yeah, I get more people referencing it as just, you know, the Ark of the Covenant than I do saying, oh, that's the design of the Ark of the Covenant from Indiana Jones. So, I, you know, I, I mixed the two a little bit. It's a little bit of movie reference, a little bit, you know, meaning behind it. So, that's... I'd like to just keep adding to that and maybe get some more stuff onto it and, and just clean it up even more. And It looks really good right now, though. I, I love it. Yeah, like, no, I think it'd be cool to get, like, maybe an Andalite tattoo or something. Like, a really subtle one, just like a silhouette of an Andalite. No, I'm going to get Crayox cool. eye uh, splashed across my back. <laughs> <laughs> I did see an amazing, uh, maybe we should put this in the show notes, a link to it. But I did see some amazing uh, fan art, I guess, of a cover for the return uh, where it's just like Krayak mechanical red background. And then it's got a mouse like, hey, like dangling into the foreground, a white mouse. 
And uh, it was really cool looking. It was the coolest I've ever seen of anyone trying to represent Krayak a little bit. Like, the little background of mechanical mixed with organics. And it's pretty rad. Hmm. That might be neat. I'll get it tattooed on me. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the only other thing I want to talk about real quick uh, before we get into the review and discussion and all that is we are coming up to our first Megamorphs book. Oh, yeah. And we are kind of trying to figure out if we should stuff it all into one episode or do like a two-parter or maybe do something special for it i'm not sure um so maybe maybe you guys can chime in uh on this new discussion thing we're going to try with reddit um maybe you guys can chime in tell us what you'd prefer is it do you mind it being split up in two episodes because it's so much longer because we like to talk as you know we talk for quite a while yeah and that was my thinking was that the Megamorphs is, is kind of the length of about two books put together. And if it's taking us an hour and a half to talk about one book, then, you know, that, that might turn into a three-hour episode that I don't think anybody <laughs> wants to necessarily listen to in one go. And just so some of you, if you don't know, we're doing the Megamorphs number one next because that was how it was released uh, chronologically as far as when the books were released. And I think even at the beginning of uh, Volume 8, they talk about the monster from Megamorphs number one. So it's definitely the correct order to read them in as well. So put down book eight. If you were listening to this podcast and you were going to jump into Axe's first story, you just, you just throw it into the garbage and you can buy a new one later. Then <laughs> uh, pick up Megamorphs number one. And then the... rush out to the store. Yeah. Rush... Or, you know, hop online and download the free ebook, I guess. Yeah, rush out to the multiple stores you have to go to to find any actual Animorph book anymore. Um, Just hop on America Online. Yeah. <laughs> Keyword Animorphs. <laughs> That's weird. Um, when they did the reprints, they did seven, and then they did eight. They didn't do a reprint of Megamorphs number one. That we know of. I don't, I don't think they There's did. There's probably some secret hidden reprint somewhere in K.A. Applegate's mansion. Vault? In her Animorphs <laughs> vault? It's protected by taxons. It's like the Disney vault. <laughs> she opens up every once in a while and pulls out a Megamorphs book. <laughs> or like a sequel to, uh, what was it? Oh, uh, not Revenants. Uh, Everworld? Everworld? Neverworld? Yeah, it she's got she's got like 12 sequels to Everworld in there that she'll never, they'll never see the light of day. You know what? <clears throat> Interesting podcast idea. Maybe. I've never read any of those other series of hers. <laughs> Yeah, I have a few of them that I picked up around uh, when I picked up my first batch of Animorphs books, and I haven't gotten to them yet. But you know do... what? Actually, K. A. Applegate wrote an entire series. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of it, but it's like another fifty some books, um, and it's a series that takes place kind of in reality, I guess. And it's a lot Boring. like uh, like Degrassi. Oh, really? Yeah. Here's my question to you: Do we? I mean, right now. This is a fixed podcast in the sense that we get to book presumably 54 or, or Alternomorphs number two or whatever, and then we don't have to do anymore. That's the series. Do you want to dedicate our lives to Kay Applegate and do like all her books and everything? Yes, I want to do all 28 books of the Making Out series. And then jump into Everworld and Revenants or whatever Look, Coleman, the books deal with difficult topics such as the death of a parent, molestation, divorce, disability, drugs, and alcohol. It sounds great! We should just watch Degrassi, then. <laughs> the Degrassi cast? <laughs> I love Degrassi. Degrassi Junior High 
and then you get to the movie, and it's like the most depressing thing you'll ever see. I don't know, man. If only, yeah, I mean, that's what Animorphs is. It's like Degrassi Junior High. Oh my god, there's a there's a part in this book, The Stranger, that uh, is just <laughs> it's it's kind of soul crushing. This, yeah, well, let's let's you know if you want to talk about this book, let's go ahead and just talk about this book. <laughs> I do want to talk about the book. I'm excited to talk about this book. Are you? Are you excited? I'm always excited, especially for a time travel book. Wait, it's whoa, calm down. It's one. It's one part of the book. No, no, this is a time travel book, through and this, through. This is a this is the Kramer versus Kramer of Animorphs books. It's all about <laughs> divorce and who's getting the kids and and I don't know. I think Dustin Hoffman shows up at one point. That's that's what this book's about. It's very little time travel. It's more it's more uh, Animorphs meet God, and hilarity ensues. <laughs> that's kind of true. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Well, yeah. Let's uh let's go ahead and jump into it then. I'm jumping. Help! 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 Wait! Help! 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 Wait! Wait! Stop! Stop! Their bodies were now hosts, harboring an alien form of life, a cosmic form, which to survive must take over every human man. So I ran, I ran. They're after you! They're after all of us! Our wives, our children, everyone! All right, as we said, today we are talking about book number seven, The Stranger. This is a Rachel book. You want to you wanna let us know what the cover looks like there? Yeah, well, I've already said it earlier, but the cover features Rachel morphing Grizzly. Quite lovely on the inside flap. We've got uh, kind of an awesome picture, actually, of uh, Rachel, Jake, and Marco in an elevator, and they're all in battle morph. And uh, I... I guess it's not a spoiler to say that yeah this is the book where rachel acquires grizzly oh yeah and she sticks with that morph right up to the end what does the back of the book say so the back of the book reads as follows okay rachel and the other animorphs have finally found the new entrance to the yerk pool they've even figured out a way to sneak in the infamous roach morph but they didn't count on roaches being a tax and delicacy this time escape doesn't look so good and then everything stops. Everything. The taxon, the human controllers, the hork time. Now Rachel, Cassie, Marco, Jake, Tobias, and Axe are in for their wildest trip ever. They're going to get the chance to decide whether they want to stay on Earth and fight the Yerks or go to another planet. And the guy giving them the choice says he can save them. Now all they have to do is make the choice. Ah, wow, sounds like this one's supposed to be called The Choice. I, I know, I was just about to say, hmm, The Choice might have been a, a good title, but I think they, I think The Choice might be a book later. You dropped the, you dropped the ball, Kay Applegate. This is it. This is The Choice. <laughs> and you made the wrong choice. No, it has to be The Stranger, because Stranger refers to, well, The Stranger that we're about to I meet. guess. Sounds like <laughs> another uh, Stranger Danger scenario. Kind of. Well, anyway, uh, let's get started. This book starts like all the other books do, with the recap, of course. And for this recap, we have Rachel and Cassie going to the circus with Rachel's family, which is her dad and her two sisters. Um, I'd like to point out how our, the previous book, The Capture, starts with Jake actually, you know, 
acting like a leader and, and practicing a morph and, you know, just kind of helping out the team, really. Whereas this book, second Rachel book, starts with her, once again, using her morph powers for kind of selfish needs. Going to the circus and not really liking how the elephants are treated. So, of course, what does she decide to do? She decides to uh, give a little Rachel justice to this animal trainer. So, as you said, this is totally a backtrack in the responsibility and praise we gave them in the last book. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, she even she even goes as far as to thought speak to him. Oh, yeah. Very human thought speak, too. She's threatening him and asking if he can, you know, fly. And <laughs> uh, yeah, she's, she's really living it up, uh, torturing this... This poor animal trainer, who I, I I guess is a terrible, evil person because he uses an electric prod on elephants. Yeah, Geppetto or Geppetto or whatever his name was. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we get one of those uh those nice little cuts we've been talking so well about, where <laughs> Jake it cuts to the next chapter where Jake's like, and then you threw the guy. A little bit of a little bit of Rachel psychopath coming out. And I'm surprised to see that uh, Rachel actually went to meet with everyone and told them about it. Although I guess, you know, Cassie was there, so <laughs> I don't think she could get away with it. Cassie would have probably said something to someone. Oh yeah. You can't leave Cassie there. There's no secrets. She's a blabbermouth. So, so Rachel has to tell everyone about, you know, her, her, her stupid elephant act. And, uh, Jake kind of, kind of tries to scold her, scold her a little bit. I mean, you know, he, he tells her basically she shouldn't be doing that. But it's not very, it's not like he's commanding her or anything at this point. Uh, Marco's kind of got to stick up his butt about it, of course. <laughs> Since he's now all gung-ho about this. Completely understandable. Because while Rachel and Cassie were dicking around at the circus, uh, Marco and Tobias have been doing some hardcore uh, reconnaissance. On... Yeah, dude, this is a book that I want to read. <laughs> the the Adventures of Marco and Tobias. I mean, technically, they were kind of just hanging out at the mall. But while there, they were totally uh, following Yurks and, uh, and, you know, seeing how they interacted with their environment enough so that they could find, lo and behold, a new entrance to the Yurk pool. Yeah, and everyone is absolutely delighted to hear that. Oh, In yeah. fact, Marco's grumbling about it himself on the way, on the way there. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, they're they're definitely uh, getting serious about not attacking the Yurk pool because they know how that goes. It's not it's not a smart idea, but they know if they can just possibly track down the Kendrona uh, or the Kendrona device that you know feeds Kendrona uh, radiation into the pool and helps the Yurk survive, that they can do some major temporary but major damage to the Yurk. Oh man. I, I really have to point this out here. Um, when they're when they're heading out to meet with Axe, um, this is one of the first instances we get of this little snippet of uh, of 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 text, I guess, that says, "I heard the sound of fallen leaves being stirred, a faint drumbeat of pounding hoofs. Then, with a leap, he cleared a fallen tree and landed a few feet away from us." This is like you once described this as the book equivalent of stock footage. For like TV and <laughs> yeah. film, this is kind of the the passage that we get almost every single time they go out to meet with Axe, you know. Yeah, although that sounded uh, sounded a little more like a Christmas Carol or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe maybe she spruced it up a little bit. The point is, every time he appears, they hear his his 
hoofbeats coming, and then he, he usually jumps <laughs> into the clearing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 100%. And, uh, I don't know. There's, uh, I'm sure there's little tricks like that, left and right, that maybe a little copy and paste action happened. But, I, oh, hey, I don't want to accuse K. Applegate of anything. Well, no, I would do the exact same thing. I mean, describing the characters over and over and over for, you know, 50-some books is <laughs> is probably kind of boring. <laughs> so I'm sure they she's got a master... Uh, text file somewhere of just generic descriptions of all the characters that she kind of throws in each book and tweaks. I do think she goes a little above and beyond sometimes because I noticed that if you were to take all the descriptions of each of the characters, like from all the books, and put them next to each other and just give them to someone as a way to, uh, uh, you know, have them either draw a picture or, or, you know, cast someone who's supposed to play that part or something like that, there are little small details that change every once in a while and flesh out the character more. She does try to be original a lot of the time. And uh, you, you notice as if you read more and more of these books so quick after each other, as we're doing, uh, there are there are more descriptors that she adds in. It's not, it's not just a copy and paste for the most no, part. No, yeah, of course. Yeah, the characters obviously get more descriptive over time. It's just funny how the uh, cover's messed up with Tobias being, I guess, the wrong hair color. Well, you can't go by it covers at all those are all wrong all of them are inaccurate i mean they've got the basics right but yeah tobias's hair color like the color of the animal uh animals they're turning into like those things are wrong constantly the fact that on every single book cover they're fully clothed morphing into an animal yeah <laughs> well i guess that's not canon right there <laughs> i don't see how they did the entire series that way yeah i don't really get it either there's only one cover that I can think of. It's uh, the one with Cassie turning into a butterfly, where she's actually in a, in a leotard. Yeah, exactly. But that's the only one I can think of. <laughs> well, anyway, where were we? Uh, Animorphs, they're, they're plotting their mission. They're <laughs> talking about Yerk pools and Candronas. And I, I like that we actually get Rachel finally turn to Axe and say, you know, what can you tell us about this Candrona? We don't know anything about it. It's finally time we get a little Candrona info. Yeah, he he's pretty quick with them though, and he's not really divulging. Well, this is this is kind of when we learn that, you know, just attacking the Yerk pool in general is not necessarily going to be helpful for the team. Um, really, what they need to do is destroy the Candrona because that is how the Yerk pool is beneficial to Yerks because the Yerk pool soaks up the Candrona rays. So just attacking the Yerk pool on itself or by itself is is not going to be anywhere near as effective as destroying a candrona if they can find one really all it does is set up the plot that they're not looking specifically for the yerk pool they're looking for the candrona in this book yeah and this leads to them you know executing a plan that involves fly morphs and being in the mall and changing ingesting rooms as jake hides their clothes as he often will do later on in the series, but it leads them <laughs> back into the horrible, horrible depths of the uh, York Pool itself. So, oh, oh, one thing I wanted to mention, though, is how Axe is very gung-ho about about going into the York Pool, you know? He, he's still very much like, yeah, let's go attack it. And um, everyone else is, they're, they're obviously not looking forward to going back down there. I mean, nobody liked, everybody has nightmares still about that place. And uh, there's there's even a good line about or from Axe where he says, 
the fact that you are all scared is starting to scare me. He doesn't know what he's getting himself into, and he's not really going to for quite a a couple chapters. <laughs> he doesn't even get the horrifying experience that they got uh, when they first went down in the first book, but I'm sure it does rub off on him and it makes him see why they were freaking out so much and not looking forward to going back in. And then they do go back in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone makes their way down into the yurt pool in Cockroach Morph. And they're following behind a controller. And you know, in Cockroach Morph, you can't, they can't really see all that well. And Axe even points out, he says, man, I wish I could see better. I wish I could see what's going on. And <laughs> Rachel straight up tells him, no, you don't. So Axe still is just being a little uh, arrogant and childish about the whole Yurk pool thing and, and going down in there and finding some epic battle. Uh, instead, they go the Marco approach and make their way secretly to this set of buildings that has the cafe and cafeteria and, and the voluntary hosts and, and the yeah, cages lined they up. follow the scent of fries. Yeah, following that, it leads them straight to the uh, cafeteria they had seen in in the first book on their first visit. So the place that had disgusted them so much because that's where the voluntary hosts get to hang out and chill. Yeah, now, now, they're, now they're heading for it themselves. Yeah. They don't get very far, however. No, almost immediately after uh, entering the crack in the wall and hitting linoleum, uh, they say that they see a shadow over them or, or feel a shadow or a presence over them and they are immediately sucked up uh, by a large sticky object that ends up being the tongue of a taxon taxon tongues as it turns out are uh you know similar to frog tongues i suppose in that they're incredibly sticky and the team cannot escape luckily for them however time freezes well i just like I'd just like to point out that they are absolutely boned in this situation i mean i know we talk a lot about dance exmotions <clears throat> uh in this series but in this instance it, this was the most realistic almost death scene so far in the sense that when people die, it's not like some big dramatic moment. It's, boom, you were in the wrong place, wrong time, dead. That's, that's the end of your life. You know, that's, that's how it happens for a lot of people, and that's, that's what 100% would have happened right here. Time freezes, and they are force demorphed, which is uh, kind of the first strange instance and uh, it's not until they're they're all fully demorphed that they even realize the time has stopped. Yeah, they said they said just that in itself. Like walking around, they they leave the cafeteria and we start you know walking into the York Pool proper. And they said just the uh, seeing the frozen Horkbajir uh, shoving the frozen human's head into the still waters of the York Pool and and seeing all the imagery they'd seen before, having it all be around them but nothing happening was almost more frightening than than actually being there when it's all moving around doing stuff. Perhaps even more important than time freezing is uh, Tobias, who was not able to go along on the mission because he's a hawk, and uh, hawks don't do so well in the mall. We learned that in book three. Yeah. <laughs> Tobias is now there in human form. So... Yeah, it's kind of sad because, I mean, for various reasons, but... Uh, Rachel, who he's pretty close to now, doesn't recognize him right away. Yeah, like, we're in her head, obviously, this is her book, and she's like, oh, some scraggly kid started walking up. Oh, 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 it's Tobias! <laughs> wow. 
I think she recognized him pretty quick, but yeah, quick, but not. It's it's definitely a, a surprise, obviously, when uh, someone who you thought was trapped in a hawk body forever shows up. Hey guys, <laughs> he's looking at his hands. Yeah, did he just? Uh, do you think he just teleported down there, or? Yeah, he says he was in the middle of flying, and that's why uh, when he appears and Rachel first runs in, he starts flapping his arms really quick and like jumping, because he uh, is still in that hawk mindset, of course. Oh yeah. But once the team team kind of reunites and sort of wonders, you know, what's going on here? Time is frozen. This this isn't the way we left this place. Uh, they are spoken to by a kind of omniscient voice, a voiceover. <laughs> yeah, well, it reminds them of thought speaking at the at first, at least. Yeah, but this is thought speak that they feel in their in their souls. This is soul speak. This is thought speak plus. Yeah, he he arrives and. To them, he's just this old, fragile man in a dress with pointy ears. I mean, it's, they have no idea what to think with this guy showing up. Yeah, oh, except for Axe, who is just scared shitless. I mean, he, he it, look, it looked like he uh, wet himself here a little bit in fear. Because he has heard stories, his people tell stories of the Elemists and what they are capable of. And, you know, the Animorphs are... Typical kids, or who's this guy? What's going on here? What's what's happening? They're kind of pushy and chubby with him, and the almost, you know, he's a smart guy, so he doesn't he doesn't get too offended or worked up over belittling him. And we talked about this uh, before the episode started, and it's it's good to bring it up here. Is we we know the rest of the series for the most part. We 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 know what's going on with the Elmist, and it's interesting that in this first book, he's referenced as as a group of beings or a part of a larger community of Elemis. Like Axe specifically says, he's one of the Elemis, not the Elemis. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely referred to as more of a species than a single being. Or community or, you know, you know, who knows? Well, something. It's implied that there are more Elemists than the one they are engaging with. Yeah, so you could call that retcon or you could call it, um, it, it might just be that... Axes, you know, the Andalites aren't as all-knowing as they think, and they have more legends than actual factual universe can uh, can give them. But... That could be it. I choose to believe that uh, the author, you know, had this great idea for this character, this Elemis character, and uh, it's obviously very early on in the series, and as she continued writing and developing the idea, um, and then around the time she probably wrote the Elemis Chronicles... Uh, the character became significantly more developed and maybe some of the early on facts didn't quite match up with the later vision she had. Yeah, Mitch, of course that's what happened. But we can't call <laughs> ourselves fanboys if we're not going to force the world to fit within some logical way by creating, you know, fan fiction in EU, so... Sorry, Coleman, I'm here to <laughs> critique and review a fictional book series. All right. Based on its merits. Then we're here for completely different reasons. Because I'm here to make this real life and to lose myself into the And then fantasy. rate them all on a three to five rating scale. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what you're here for. I'm here to rate them from a <laughs> one to three rating scale. Um, but anyway, but point is, they meet their savior, uh, the Elemist, who has stopped time to make them an offer they can refuse? Can't refuse? 
he, he he's there to make them an offer and then see if they refuse. Yeah. And uh, make it he does. He is giving them the chance, and not a great chance, but he's giving them the opportunity to survive as a species, to pull a Noah's Ark, if you will, uh, by offering them and their close friends, families, whoever's closest to them, to go off to some Earth-like planet and survive. Because as he says, Earth is doomed, or at least the human race is doomed to fall to the Yurks. And he's pretty confident about it. Yeah, the the Elemist really, he's got a he's got a hard on for Earth. Um. <laughs> yeah, but no, that's that's how he that's how he presents it. You know, he keeps talking about saving humans and and saving them to carry on the race. But when he shows them visions of what he really cares about and he gets off on, it's scenes of nature and waterfalls and and I don't know leopards killing things and you know that's that's what the Elemist is all about. Well, yeah, he takes them. He takes them all over the the planet, or at least shows them images from around the planet. He I shows them scenes sure from uh, Blue Planet, the uh, <laughs> Blue Ray series. Planet Earth, you mean? No, there's multiple ones. Blue Planet, oh, sure. Planet Earth. <laughs> he he puts it on his Blu-ray player and sits them down. <laughs> yeah, he's got the whole box series. He he sits them down for 19 hours, and they go through. It. And he talks the entire time. <laughs> Uh, oh, check out this waterfall. Don't you guys think it's cool? Let me rewind that one for you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Elemis, we get it. Earth's awesome. Leave us alone. So as the Elemis is droning on and on and on about how cool Earth is, like a you know, new place he's found, he's telling them about it and they live there. He's an uh, Earth otaku. Yeah, yeah. So as he's droning on about it, uh, Marco and Jake and, and even Rachel, uh, they start noticing... You know, just their environment and their surroundings, and and they take in uh, a drop shaft nearby that uh, is is a possible escape route if they were to deny this offer made by the Elemist. Yeah, and everyone at this point is is really debating this um, whether whether or not they should accept the offer. And Cassie, of course, is uh, the only <laughs> one who's kind of. <laughs> Well, I, I actually kind of side with Cassie on this one, oddly enough. Um, I mean, she she brings up some very good points. Um, assuming the Elemist is, is telling them the truth in that the Earth is really doomed and humans will become extinct, Cassie's kind of thinking on a global scale, and I admire that. I like that. She's she's all about saving, you know, the human race, first and foremost, and uh, preservation, I guess. <laughs> Well, a, I didn't know you were a Yurk sympathizer because that's that's what you're going for here. You're saying, "Oh, we should give up the fight now that we know that it's now that we know it's over and it's useless to fight. Let's go on, let's pack it up and uh, and give up." That's an awful lot of words you're putting in my mouth. Oh, I'm putting them in there. I'm shoving them right down your throat. And uh, secondly, it's it's strange. I think this is actually out of character for Cassie a little bit. Don't get me wrong. Cassie making terrible decisions is completely in character. <laughs> but but it's a little out of character for her to give up on literally what we saw in book three. Not sorry, book three. What we saw in book four was her reason to fight in the first place. Is Granted, I'm sure she puts humans at a higher level than uh, animals and everything. But the big reason that she chose to fight and to be an animorph and really, really get into the fight was the preservation of Earth and the species and the unity and, and everything on Earth living together. That's that's why she's here. 
and she's immediately ready to give up on that now uh, if she finds a way out for her and her dad and her mom so they can play board games again. Well, as she points out, you know, she handles plenty of animals that are scared and stupid and don't understand that they're only she's only trying to help them. And she just kind of makes a similar connection for their scenario. Obviously, she goes along with everybody else who is against the idea. <laughs> yeah, I have no problem with that. I just I have a problem with her giving up on everything else that she uh, her selectiveness of yeah she's she made the analogy about the bird and all that. I'm saying her selectiveness of giving up on planet Earth and 99 percent of the species on there. Uh, that's pretty messed up. Well, you can't falter for at least considering the option. I mean. You tell me that your god shows up and yeah. uh, offers you the chance to escape your alien invasion. You're not going to consider it, at least. Oh, no. Uh, Especially because at this point, they are still stuck as cockroaches on a, on a tax on tongue, basically. Because that's where they're going straight back to, should they decline his offer right now. I agree, but, you know... And I don't know how involved Cassie was in the whole, oh, look at that drop shaft over there, <laughs> side yeah, plot. Yeah, I, know, I understand that. She might have, She probably missed out on that. She tends to miss things. But uh, <laughs> but that's interesting that you bring that up. My God shows up and he makes me an offer or whatever. Maybe I think about it. This isn't, this isn't that. This is some guy who just showed up who looks like some weird being. And they're like ready to trust them with them and their family's lives and that everything he says is true. As we see, everything he says is completely untrue. So, <laughs> Well, no, at this point, they have no reason to doubt him. I mean, he shows up, he stops time, he demonstrates his power. I mean, Tobias is a human once again. The Elemist has the ability to uh, negate the, so, the two-hour time limit. So he has power. That doesn't mean you trust him. No, and none of them do, because they turn his ass down super quick. I know, but we're fighting about Cassie here. That's that's why I was getting into that. <laughs> she she didn't. She was on board. She was ready to give him her social security number and uh, her online yes. information. She had her credit card standing by and ready. <laughs> I think he's making a good offer, guys. <laughs> I just need you and two of your friends to promote it to two of their friends, and we're, we're going we're gonna to get on board this. Well, he, he very clearly lays it out for him that, you know, Earth is doomed, because I say so, and I'll give you this opportunity to save yourselves and your families, and you have to decide right now. And everybody comes around to saying no. And, of course, they go right back to Roachmorph Taxontongue. And this, is, this gets a little dicey, because they morph out. They morph back to human and Andalite. Yeah, this part... I was kind of wondering about, um, and I guess, because yes, like you said, they, they demorph um, as they're inside the taxon's stomach mm -hmm. and uh, very obviously kill that taxon. And they're covered in, in, you know, taxon goo and guts and stuff. And I guess that's maybe how nobody recognizes them. But... I can see that distorting features, but I think the main thing that you think someone would talk about is the fact that a bunch of random kids and an Andalite just popped out of a taxon stomach? <laughs> yeah, well, A, seeing an Andalite at all, you have to assume that anyone they're with has to do with the Andalite bandits, because they're the only other Andalites nearby. They're, they're, they're the Andalite bandits. That, that's who, the only ones that are on Earth. So you would think there would be some people at least talking about the fact that they're, 
they saw something crazy happen. They had to had to be some morphine involved here in this situation. I don't know. It's a little well, confusing. yeah. And, and as soon as they're out and everybody's running, um, they they do go battle morph. And um, I again, I guess I I just don't see how none of the controllers are not staring directly at these running children who start morphing animals and not figure out. Oh, clearly these Andalite bandits we've thought were Andalites are humans. Unless, I mean, I guess you could get, you could say it, there's two options here. A, we just didn't hear about it, and the and the Animorphs actually did try to go out of their way to find a shadow or something to morph in. Uh, or B, the humans did see them go from human to battle morph and human and all that. And they just didn't know enough about morphine technology to think it's something that they needed to raise the alarm about. That's possible. There's a lot of possibilities, but it's kind of glossed over, really. Yeah. It's it's just <laughs> something that maybe older readers would pick up on, but small children wouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> That's why we're here, to uh, put the small kids in their place and, and bring some discourse to this uh this book series. So the kids are barreling through the yerk pool, heading for the drop shaft, and everyone's going battle morphs, of course. We've got Jake and his tiger, uh, Marco's gorilla, Axe's, well, he's still Andalite. He really needs to get a battle morph, you know? I don't know. I mean, he's doing all right. <laughs> it's I know I know he's doing all right, and I know an Andalite body is, is ideal for battles, but... Just the fact that it's, they're all animals and he's the only Andalite that stays Andalite, that right there is, is kind of a huge red, red flag. No, I don't, I don't think it's a red flag at all. Because as they mentioned later on in the series, um, and as they've already mentioned in book four with the dome ship and the Andalites like bringing their home planet around to like rub it in Yerk's faces, it would make perfect sense that they would go into battle with these animal morphs that are powerful and strong and bring different things to the table. And then they'd leave one animorph to be like a flag, like they're carrying into battle to show, hey, this is who we are. We're the Andalites. We're going to kick your ass. Oh, well, that's a pretty good explanation, I guess. Yeah, well, they, they bring it up. Don't I, I can't take credit for that. They bring it up later in the series. That That's why Visitor 3 never caught on, because uh, he thought it was like, uh, like them waving a flag in battle. Ah, well, I guess we'll find out about that later. So as everybody's running through the Yurk pool, going battle morphs, we get Rachel going into her brand new grizzly morph, which uh, we actually skipped over. There's a, a bit earlier on in the book um, where Rachel's going through some family drama. As you know, of course, her her mother and father are divorced and her news reporter slash anchor father is... Uh, about to move across country or something and um, he wants to take Rachel with him yeah and that's that's really a big part of this book so I can't believe we skipped over that but uh, he makes her an offer very similar eh, eh, to this offer they just got from yeah house. I was going to point this out is that it, it very much parallels the rest of the book I mean she's given in her regular life this opportunity to kind of move away from the alien invasion, forget about it. She gets her perfect life living somewhere else with her dad and she gets to do her gymnastics stuff and she gets this great life. And then in contrast, we also have the Elemist who is offering to pick them up and move them to an entirely different planet where they're, they'll be free of the Yerks for good. So, and this leads to her being pretty torn up. Uh, it's a divorce situation and 
and picking which parent to live with and all that. So she's getting a little messed up in the head with having to deal with this and the stress of being an orphan general. And uh, and as you said, she flies to the gardens by herself because she's been thinking in general she needs something a little smaller but still crazy powerful for a battle morph because uh, the elephant's just... I think she's saying it's, it's pretty much just too bulky and too hard to use as a normal battle morph. And she wants she needs a carry-on battle morph. Yeah, and she just one that, wants one something. One that stows in upper head compartments. <laughs> and she wants something that can kind of get angry and, and really do some damage. So she flies to the gardens and gets in the cage with a grizzly bear and specifically picks the male grizzly bear. Uh, grizzly bear. <laughs> she specifically picks the male grizzly bear. Uh, because she she doesn't want any, you know, s- smaller stature or anything. She wants the strongest, biggest one. She she gets the uh, the giant male grizzly, and she does it. She walks right up to it, acquires it, and gets out of there. It's uh it's pretty ballsy. Yeah, yeah, that was that was definitely crazy, definitely unsafe. Uh, um, man, I'm just kicking myself now because I had all these fucking notes. Like, I know. During her conversation, she goes out and talks to Tobias. And just asks him the worst question anyone could ever ask Tobias. She says, do you ever think about the future and what we're all going to do after this? Like, yeah. <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to have to skip it. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about that too, now that I know about it, now that I remember it. Um, but but uh, as we okay, said, let's, let's... she acquires this grizzly bear, which comes into play for the first time. She's trying out the morph in the middle of battle, in, in the York pool itself. Yeah, and this is definitely going to contribute to her losing control here because, wow, she kind of goes on a murderous rampage and she says she even she even loses track of what's going on and and uh, she remembers flying through the drop shaft and swiping at Jake and Tiger Morph, who's above her, and he is just yelling at her to demorph. She's out of control. The drop shaft ends up depositing them, uh, I guess, in a water tower, on the inside of a water tower. And uh, after taking care of the controller guards that are stationed there, they all kind of make it out safely. And then we cut to the next morning with Rachel waking up, still in her, her morphing outfit, and uh, having a lovely little chat with her mom. And this just kind of adds to the home life drama of the of the story, where... There's a lot of a lot of tension at at home right now, and her mom knows that you know she's been out all night doing something, and she's obviously dressed like a weirdo. If I were her mom, I'd think she's on drugs. <laughs> on drugs, or at least starting the uh, party scene of your supermodel-looking teenage daughter. Yeah, that would make sense, I suppose. Though I I would expect that, you know, my good-looking preteen daughter would be a little bit more flatteringly dressed then <laughs> leotard <laughs> with, i think she might have been wearing a hoodie or something but all those shopping tips and and that's what she ends up with a black leotard yeah but after this little scene with her mother uh this is this is a part that i actually really like from this book we get rachel just kind of sitting in the bathtub and she's she's remembering just everything that's gone on you know from some since the start of this book and I, I I think her along with pretty much everybody else is just feeling terrible right now. Well, they don't know how to. I mean, they've made this decision initially, but the Olympus, and I think everybody regrets it. Kind of, yeah. I mean, everybody 
it's the grass is always greener on the other side. And not only that, but the grass on the other side of this fence doesn't have a war that they have complete responsibility for. Uh, but Oh, yeah, because the Elemus flat out tells them, you know, they are the ones who are here to decide the fate of, of humanity. <laughs> and it's not so much that they can just regret, you know, making this decision and it's over. Uh, the Elemus told him he'd come again. He would come one more time and ask them again if uh, if they want to do this. So they still have a lot to think about, even though they've kind of already voted. Definitely. So Rachel stays home just all day. She skips school. And um, she watches TV, tries to take her mind off of, you know, everything that's going on in her life, which is quite insane to really <laughs> take in. Substantial. And and understandably, uh, the, the pressure is a little too much for her, so she um, kind of heads out in eagle morph. And we think that we're going to get, you know, uh, uh, to see where she's going, what she's doing, but it kind of cuts a couple hours later to... Uh, to Cassie's where everyone's gathering and this is when Rachel shows up and it's it's kind of insinuated that she's been flying around most of the day and by herself luckily we have Tobias to snitch on her yeah uh, I know what a great boyfriend <laughs> yeah he comes in he's like I saw bald eagle earlier flying and then I saw one over two hours later get her Jake <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Rachel. Rachel goes nuts here. I mean, she has a huge outburst. Oh, and it's, um, it's prompted by Marco. Uh, oh yeah. Like oh yeah. Off. Totally. <laughs> yeah. He, he starts sliding into his Xena Warrior Princess, which, to be fair, she basically told him she likes that he does that, jokes around with her, and she even likes that he calls her that uh, secretly. But this was just bad timing wrong instance to uh to call her that because she's no yeah she's she, feeling about as weak as you could she's telling everyone about about her her daddy drama and um marco just tries to tries to be very nice and encouraging and that leads to her just blowing up and having a meltdown and you know telling jake well you decide what's what's going to happen what are what are the answers that we need and jake is you know he's obviously still very distraught he's probably in a worse much worse situation than rachel what with his his brother being a controller and you know he tells her i don't have any answers none of us do yeah jake's really good about making quote unquote military decisions but when any of this personal stuff comes up he's like the first to shy away yeah and after after rachel's little meltdown marco immediately changes his vote because he he says that if Rachel has given up, Zena, if Zena has has lost the will to fight, what chance do we stand anymore? I'm out. And he's serious. He's, this isn't just him making a joke. He's like, he. I think he relied on her to be the strongest one of all of them. And and he's tactical, Marco. If she's losing her mind and can't handle this anymore, then we're kidding ourselves. And with Marco changing his vote, that now. That now tilts the scales, um, so that so that it's Rachel who has to cast the deciding vote. You know, no pressure. And, <laughs> and she's made up her mind. Um, we're not privy to that information just yet, but she's made up her mind. And as she's about to speak it, that's when the Elemist returns finally. And instead of you know doing like he said he's going to do and and taking them away. 
whisking them away to this other planet. Um, he's got a little different plan in mind and uh, just sort of teleports them to a new place. I I, I think it's fairly obvious that it's the future, but um, for, for at least a couple of chapters, they're going to wander around wondering where they're at. <laughs> yeah, they, they see the school and the mall and they're like, what happened? I don't understand. Are we... Are we somewhere else? <laughs> yeah, oh, the, the Earth is just in ruins. It's um, Planet of the Apes style uh, future. All the buildings destroyed, Yurk pools everywhere, taxons living in the mall. <laughs> Dogs and cats sleeping together. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's, it's, definitely, uh, it's definitely a feature that they are not on board with. And once they actually do figure out that they're in the future, they start wandering around and... Uh, interacting with other yurks uh, it gets as i say it gets pretty dicey again yeah rachel has a bit of a, a slip up a stupid moment and um i guess she's kind of on edge so i sort of understand that her controller bumps into her and at first everyone's all super concerned about you know oh crap we better hide and stuff but uh they're quick to point out that you know well this world's already ruled by controllers. They're just going to assume that we are also controllers. So when Rachel bumps into this other controller later, I guess it's a little bit out of character that her reaction, her watch where you're going, um, <laughs> for whatever reason, gets the, the attention of this other controller that they've bumped into. And we get Axe stepping in to pretend to be Visor 3. Just a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Well, for one thing, nobody knew that in this future, Visor 3 had been promoted to Visor 1. So they learned that pretty quick. And other than that, I mean, just this is a plan without an end. You can only make this last for so long before you run into somebody who actually knows where he is or, or recognizes yeah, Axe as a Visor 3. Or... That was probably not the best plan they could have come up with in that situation I, I think maybe they could have just said shut the hell up and walked away but um they get x pretending to be visor visor three visor one and uh, there's like a page or two where they're just i guess kind of walking around and they see a bug fighter about to land for whatever reason you know they're they're living the lie here believing that x <laughs> is visor one and um the bug fighter lands and of course outsteps the actor one. one. Yeah. And a beautiful blonde woman who is much older, but looks kind of similar. I don't know why. <laughs> it's Visor One and Future Rachel, like we've never seen them before. Oh, yeah. Well, we haven't seen them before. They're the future versions. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they step out and claim to know why the Animorphs are there. They know who they are. They know everything about them, and Oh yeah, it's 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 a total Back to the Future two moment. <laughs> Completely. The ending of Back to the Future two, I should say. Yeah, and Rachel, adult Rachel, uh, says that she remembers this. She remembers being transported and and being given this choice by the Alamist and uh, and and being where young Rachel is right now. And the Animorphs are like, well, awesome. What do we do now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, they they get very lucky in uh, in finding out that uh, both Visor One and Future Rachel, uh, they're not going to attack the Animorphs because they have no idea if that's going to change their their lovely little future that they've 
grown accustomed to. And so, on top of that, you have a couple of things that some of the smarter Animorphs are starting to pick up on. One thing they started to pick up on earlier, but now is becoming an even bigger uh, apparent truth to them, is they're downtown in whatever city this is, but all the skyscrapers and everything have been leveled except one. The what they they call it the EGS Tower. Yep. It's one of the main downtown you know banking towers or you know whatever company tower it is, but uh, it's the only skyscraper still standing. Everything else has been leveled and you're pulled up, but it's still there. It's got some new weird dome on top of it, and that's just weird. It's just strange. Uh, so they they make a note of that. And the second thing they make a note of is Rachel, adult Rachel, when she gets out of this bug fighter, she kind of flips out a little bit. I mean, she doesn't say anything or do anything crazy, but uh, she keeps staring at Axe, and, and you know, she looks much more frightened than a person in her position should be. So, and it's specifically related to Axe. Uh, so that's that's something they pick up on and they start to think about a little uh, a little more and, and develop plans around. They're hesitant to attack the Animorphs. They don't want to change the future. And this is when the team is like, well, screw this, battle morph time. <laughs> and they they start morphing, they start going battle morphs, but the Elemist kind of lifts them out of time again and puts everybody back in the present. Yeah, it's a really cool scene because they're standing there with these smug, pardon my French, assholes who are talking about how, you know, Rachel ate Tobias with barbecue sauce and, and Vivian <laughs> one sneering down at them, which, to be fair... Crazy dark again. Oh yeah, for, for a kid's book. Oh god, yeah. Rachel ate Tobias with barbecue sauce. That that's that's what happened. Uh, I want the book where that happened from Rachel's perspective. No, we <laughs> we get that. It's like forty two or something. But um, point is, so that that all happens, and so these two people who are just infuriating, obviously, to be around because they're their mortal enemies. They're snide and smug about it, and so yeah, the Enworms just sit down and they uh. They'll sit down, but they they ready up and go battle morph, and they're just ready to just take them out, just rip them apart. Yeah, Rachel's uh, pretty peeved that the LMS decides to to take this opportunity to send them back to the past. Um, though, as Cassie is quick to point out, you know it doesn't really matter. It's a future visitor one three that doesn't exist. So everybody, oh, I like this too. This is this is great. This is why Animorphs books are so great, because they have moments like this where everyone just lays down. They're in a forest somewhere. They just lay down, and they're just utterly defeated. I mean, after seeing the future the way that it is, they they just... It's like their spirits have been broken here. This is... Uh, if everyone has their reasons to fight throughout the first six books, this is the one where, you know, everyone's... Uh, Getting their reason to quit. <laughs> the reason to quit book yeah yeah so yeah as you say they're about to give up and then they everybody do. changed their votes <laughs> yeah this, i mean yeah they have given up they change their votes they say nope you know what screw this we're done elemis take us away <laughs> take us away and they assume that they will immediately be transported to this new planet them and their families and everything but well yeah because that's what the elemis told them he'd do yeah and absolutely nothing happens which is weird because he just moved space and time so that they could see a future where there's no hope. <laughs> so he's he's still listening. It's not like he went off to, you know, he's, he's not on a bathroom break. That we know of. 
Yeah. I want that book. <laughs> the Hellamist bathroom break. You need to stay away from fan fiction, apparently, because you want all those weirdest <laughs> stories. Um, I just want more Animorphs, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, so they, you know, they they are just confounded by the fact that they've changed their vote. They did what they thought the Hellamist wanted them to, and nothing happened. So. Well, yeah, and and now they're they're all thoroughly confused as to just what the Elemist wants from them in general. Well, after feeling just completely and utterly crushed and defeated, of course, we've got the team having to go back to school and live their lives like normal. And we have Rachel and Cassie sitting in class the next day, and uh, her, her teacher gives us this, you know, a single butterfly flapping its wings can change the destiny and blah, blah, blah. We get that quote, the butterfly effect quote. The Sound of um, Thunder quote. Sound of Thunder, whatever. Butterfly effect. The Ashton Kutcher quote. Jurassic Park quote. We we even get a very, very weird moment where her teacher looks straight at Rachel and says something relevant to the plot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. I like how the Olympus is like, oh, come on, figure it out. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. It's it's very highly insinuated that, yeah, it's probably the Olympus taking control of her teacher right here to to kind of nudge her in the right direction. And then um, after class, you know, Rachel and Cassie just kind of discuss what the heck the Elemist wants from them. And then Rachel has a dream. And this this is where Rachel figures it out, correct? Yes, Rachel has her really bizarre, montage you know, metaphorical dream again. And um, she, she wakes up in a cold sweat and gasps, Eureka, I've got it! Yeah, she basically figures out that if they were sent to this future to see that there's no hope left and make this vote, and the Elemist doesn't take them up on that, if he doesn't follow through with what he said he was going to do, then she concludes that he didn't actually want them to vote that way. He was trying to show them something. Just like how they started figuring out and they discussed this, uh, in the Yurt Pool, uh, he, they have a theory that he wanted to show them a way out of the Taxon's mouth. And so just like that, this is another way that the Elemist is trying to help them without actually directly helping them. Yeah, he, he waited until they all came out of the, the little Yurk Cafe, until they were out into the main room where the drop shaft was before he appeared to them. So Just like when he had waited for them to walk downtown and see the EAGS Tower uh, before, you know, cutting it all off or... or before they had a chance to be able to figure things out on their own later. Before they got into an epic, awesome battle. Sweet battle. Rachel tells everybody, yeah, that she thinks she knows where the Candrona is. And uh, it was the Elemist himself who showed them in the future. Yeah, I like that she figures it out before Marco. And he's kind of immediately uh, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I'm on board. <laughs> uh, I knew it. Who says I didn't? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she... she Tells him, obviously, the Candrona must be in that EGS tower. Yeah, so now it's just a matter of kind of planning a breakneck mission up the EGS tower at the last minute. And you know what? This this is great. This is what Animorphs books are all about right here. Um, we got a little bit of this in, in uh, The Predator when everybody's kind of making their way from their prison cell to the, the escape pod. Yeah. But uh, I think it this book goes above and beyond and uh, kind of sets the bar for for these Animorphs battles that are just going to get more and more 
crazy and bloody and wow. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> everybody goes to the EGS tower, tower, and that's where this starts. Right away, Marco notices there's there's a guard sitting inside. Um, he's probably a controller, so Marco walks up to him in, in Gorilla Morph and says, I'm on my way home from a costume party, and I'm looking for Visor 3. And Yeah, he knocks on the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as a gorilla. And the controller right away stands up and, And the light! Blah, blah. And then Morgan's and, like, yeah, well, I don't feel bad about this anymore. Punches through yeah. the window. <laughs> Everybody's in Battle Morph, and they, they very easily make their way inside and pass this one lone human controller and uh, hit up the elevator. And like I said uh, in the beginning here, there's this image of Rachel and Marco and Jake crammed into an elevator in their battle morphs. And uh, I, I guess Cassie and Axe are in the other elevator on their way up. Yeah, they, they wait downstairs uh, and guard the elevator as the first three go on up. <laughs> Rachel's got to push the up button with her giant bear claw. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this would this would be a great little scene for uh, for a movie or, or the TV series where... You know, three giant animals are sitting in this little elevator, and uh, she mentions the, the music is playing this generic elevator music. And then uh, the doors open and just hell breaks loose, pretty much. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and this is one of many uh, downtown pick a floor at a skyscraper battles they have, but this is the first one. I mean, this is uh, them just going room to room taking out Horfajir and human controllers left and right. It It is, hands down, I think, probably the most violent uh, battle scene that we've gotten so far out of the series. So far. No, no and it makes sense because I kind of look at this book as what would be the season finale of the ideal Animorphs show or series, for me anyway. Oh, 100%. I mean, they not only... Uh, are taking everything they've learned up to this point. They they're more responsible. They're more militaristic. They're more tactical. Uh, but they're taking that to the edge of reason, <laughs> where they're yeah, actually I, well, to some extent. Sp- I mean, Rachel still runs into a room that has like five or six Horkbajir just sitting in it, <laughs> and she she basically says, "Well, you know, the bear can't see very well, so uh, it, it's not that I was brave. It's that I was blind." But yeah, she runs straight into this room full of Hork-Bajir and just starts slashing. She throws one of them out the window. Well, yeah, she couldn't see them. She thought they were human controllers, so it's not her fault. <laughs> <laughs> but as soon as she throws one out the window, Tobias swoops in and takes out another Hork-Bajir's eyes. Yeah. There's there's a lot more controllers than they thought that there would be here. Yeah, they, they take them on, though. I mean, they, they get through them. I thought it was weird... That when they get to this Candrona and stuff, it's just in this back room. Like, there's no... With how much security there is on the Yerk pool and all of that, there's not much here. I mean, it's just another room on this on this floor of this building. Well, I think it's I think it's at the very top, or at least very close to the top. They said in the book, the EGS Tower, the, the top, like, three floors were converted into this sort of dome. So I'd, I'd have to imagine that the... Besides the manpower... Uh, that you know was guarding it. There's no like, you know. I look at Chapman. Chapman's office in his basement had like a huge security door. Oh just, yeah, yeah. It was more. It was more sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, for just having a hologram, uh, you know, 
Z-Space trans, uh, transmitter in there. This is their Candrona, and it's just, you know, they got a bunch of guards on it, and that's it. Well, I guess they thought it was indestructible or something. I don't but know. Nope. So everybody's demorphing. Rachel, in, in grisly form, has lost an arm somehow in the, in the scrape. Uh, Jake mentioned a little bit earlier on that he got cut pretty good and uh, would eventually have to morph out, and this is where everybody does it. <laughs> But they, they find the Candrona, and like you said, it's it's the size of a car. And <laughs> their their method of destroying it is having Rachel morph Elfin to push it out the window. And they mention that it they are sixty stories up. And I think it's I think it's about five in the morning or something. I think it's early morning is the time frame. But wow, they are like downtown in one of the most biggest buildings and they're just going to push this thing out and expect that you know <laughs> no one's going to see it or get hurt well a tobias does a little scout to make sure it's clear so yeah they're not worried about falling on anybody and i don't think the, the animorphs are uh going to help out the yurks by making sure nobody sees it they could care less if the yurks are exposed so they don't have to worry about that i mean they should worry about that but they don't <laughs> yeah i suppose either way it seems a little reckless but you know what this is probably the single biggest uh, uh blow that they've they've given to the yurks thus far and everyone's feeling really good about it and then the elemis shows up and uh tells them another candrona is already on its way to earth it's gonna be here in three weeks <laughs> yeah it's a little disappointing but uh x does point out that in that time, though, a lot of Yurks are going to suffer. And while there might be a replacement coming, and this this didn't defeat the Yurks, like you said, it, it really was their biggest blow. I mean, the fact, think of the Yurks so far. So far, these Anwars, while they've blown up a few ships and, and been really annoying, they've been annoyances. Now they're a threat. Yeah, and that's why this would be such a great season finale for a series. I mean, this is like their first huge victory against the Yurks. Yeah, this is actually something to celebrate with very little, uh, you know, horrifying consequences like they've gotten with so many of their other missions. Pretty much. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the Elmist, uh he's there now again, and, and Rachel kind of calls bullshit on him knowing the real future. Which he's just trying to be, he's trying to be manipulative and subtle about it. So I don't think, I don't think it's any big surprise uh, that he's, you know, not telling the full truth on everything. And she, she can point it out all she wants, but I'm sure he's thinking there, or he's sitting there thinking, well, of course, <laughs> I'm glad you picked up on it finally. Yes. Well, given the way that Rachel's character arc ends in, you know, the final book, it's it's very fitting that this first appearance of the Elemist happens in Rachel's book. Um, I won't say anything further than that, although I'm sure most people already know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Still, that's a spoiler for another day. Hey, spoiler for another book. Um, and that, that basically wraps up this book. There's one last scene of uh, Rachel saying goodbye to her dad. Helping him back. And, um, yeah. you know, her, her, it's kind of a sad little moment, of course, and... Her dad says, you know, what do you, you gotta stick around here to hang out with your friends or something, or, oh, what is it, I might as well just read the actual quote, what does he say? Oh, he asks her to come to the airport uh, with him, and she says, no, I've got stuff to do. 
and um, he says, uh, you probably have something really important to do with your friends. And she tells him, absolutely, we have to save the world. Yeah. And it, it what would normally be a very, I don't know, funny or, or not serious moment between them is, is kind of wrapped up nicely where he says, well, if anyone could do it, it would be you. Yeah, I'm sure unintentionally uh, that was a pretty big confidence booster for her because she has been speaking about the throughout the entire book. She's been talking about uh, actually how her dad would react to finding out that she was this freedom fighter for her. And yeah, and that was one of her largest reasons for, uh, for for turning down the Elemist's offer was because she thought, you know, what would my dad say? What would my dad think of this? She thought that he wouldn't approve of her giving up the fight, so she doesn't. And she never will now. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. But the that that wraps up The Stranger. Book seven. Mm. Book seven in the can. Yeah, yeah. So heading into our reviews, I think I will go first this week. Go for it. So I really like this book. I think this is a great book. We have been so lucky uh, that these first, you know, seven books have turned out as great as they are. I mean, there's very few duds, very few letdown moments. And there's some, you can tell, new writer, new series you know, getting more comfortable in it. But uh, overall, these are excellent books. And this is, as we both said, uh, if you, this were to be a TV show, you know, by a competent uh, producer, then this would be a great season finale. This is an awesome victory for the for the Animorphs. This is a really good setup. You have this new character um, who is like, you know, as I joked about earlier, uh, you know, Kay uh, Applegate was so sick of, coming up with a new deus ex machina every week she decided to just create a character to do it all the time for her so <laughs> so that's kind of his his role throughout the series but point is uh this is a really good book i really liked it but it's not perfect i think uh a lot of the rachel dad stuff was a little too over the top hitting you over the head with it it's it's nothing it's not a cringe inducing or anything but uh, it's plastered everywhere and I think she thinks a little too long about this decision that even she says is obvious. She can't leave. There's no, there's no leaving. So while it may be tempting and it's something to struggle with, um, I don't. I didn't see any conflict there uh, throughout the book because I knew the decision she was going to make. Not just because I know the rest of the books, but because it would be insane for her to give up the fight and, and leave. Uh, you know, the Earth's safety to a smaller, you know, animorphs group. So I didn't I didn't see much uh, suspense there and and what decision she was going to make, and on top of that, um, while I absolutely love the time skip forward and, and all of that stuff, uh, there's a lot of this book that just kind of you, you move past it to get to the really good stuff, like the the final amazing fight and the the going to the future and they're they're revisiting the Yorkpool. Everything else is just kind of like okay, this is cool. Let's get back to the really really good stuff in this book. So it's conflicting. It's got some of the best moments in the books we've read so far, and the other moments that are there aren't bad by any means. They're they're still good, and overall the plot's very tight and, and well constructed. Uh, but I am gonna go ahead and give it uh, instead of a you know a, a much higher score. I'm gonna go ahead and just give it a, a straight three out of five. I think it's a really good book uh, with some parts that I could, I could get through. I could skip over. Um, but but. Overall, really, really liked it, and it's it's a very, very high three out of five. 
Uh, it's right there on the edge of four. I just I couldn't go all the way. So three out of five uh, dropped Candronos. That's my score. Wow. Um, <clears throat> this this rarely happens, sir. Where uh, I actually agree, probably ninety nine percent with everything you just said. Whoa, <laughs> I'm scared. I know. Um, it, it's kind of freaky, but I think you have really summed it up there quite well. Uh, the parts that are action are amazing. It's it's such a good book, but when it slows down, it really feels like it slows down. I mean, uh. uh as a as a child of divorce, um, I I totally relate with Rachel on everything that she's going through, and it's it's surprisingly quite accurate, um, at least to how I felt as a child uh, going through a similar situation. Um, still, that said, it is an animorphs book, and uh, I think we all know why we're really here, and it's uh, not for the family drama, <laughs> but. Um, I, I I dig the whole plot of the book. And just like the last book, The Capture, I think that I think it's a billing problem. The Capture build it as, you know, the book where Jake becomes a controller. However, that was only a small part of the book. Whereas in this one, they bill it as, oh, the the Elemist is uh giving them this choice and they've got to choose yes or no. Where it's really more of a a figuring out what the elements' overall intentions are. Um, still, uh, like I said, I gotta agree with you. It's a, it's a great book. Um, not perfect, but but great. <laughs> <laughs> However, our our ratings are are misaligned, I guess, Whoa. because I would still give it a four out of five. Honestly, I was I was right there on the line. I was I was going to give it a four out of five, and I just think I think it's if you would have tightened up this book and had the cross sections uh, lead into the action scenes better and more just a little more exciting and and a little more suspension building, uh, this could have easily been a five out of five. So I was ready to give it a four out of five, but I thought it I thought it hurt itself enough to to just drop that one extra point. Yeah, I know. I mean. You got to give it points for for certain things like obviously first appearance of Elemist, huge deal. First appearance of Grizzly Morph, that's that's awesome. Um, just for things like that, it it, it really gets really gets uh, a lot of fond memories, I guess, out of me. And of course, time travel. Yeah, time travel is always worth one point to me. <laughs> it would have been a three, but the time travel put it up to four. <laughs> time travel just adds a point. No matter what. So yeah, for my, my, my final rating, four out of five, tax on tongues. Tax on tongues. I thought about doing that. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Well, that, that's, that's our review of book seven. Uh, see if you guys line up similar, you know, chime in, let us know. It'll be interesting now moving into uh, season two. As we've said, uh, thinking about this in terms of uh, a, a TV series of some sort, um, season finale here, and then we get the uh, the between season movies that is the Megamorphs coming up next time, mm-hmm. or as I think you once referred to it as the Michael Bay movie of the Animorph <laughs> series. Well, they're they're really just the movies because as you as I know you have you know we both already started reading Megamorphs number one, and it's easily the Megamorphs that I write off the most. It's not as it's not as cool as far as the concept as the other ones. 
Uh, but getting back into reading it, uh, it's pretty exciting. And the jumping back and forth, I forgot how quickly it does that between the characters. And it makes a pretty cool book. So I'm excited to review that one. Yeah, it is going to be cool just to get in the minds of, of every character for a book. Do you know if they, do they go into Axe? Oh, yeah. In, the... in fact, I have a special note about Axe that I think is kind of funny from a uh, publication point. But I'll, I'll save that for that episode. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, I haven't gotten to that point just yet. But... Yeah, he's, he's that he's will sad. be our wow. That will be our first instance of uh of of being in Axe's mind mm-hmm. until we get to season two, episode one, or book eight, yeah. <laughs> the Alien. And just in case I forget for the next episode, I do want to just real quick bring up the fact that uh, one thing really cool that the Megamorphs book does. I, I can't remember if it does it throughout the other ones, but it not only has it switching between each character, it has kind of overlap, like the person in the next chapter will mention something from the last person's chapter that they saw, but didn't relate to that, what that other person was experiencing. I don't know. It's, it's really oh, clever. Yeah. 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 It, it definitely, it'll lay out the scene and then it'll take up, it'll pick up from the next character's perspective, but it'll rewind a little. Yeah. So you get to see that scene from their perspective. Yeah. It's, it's definitely cool like that. Yep. So, okay. We'll talk about that when we get to that episode. So you guys can look forward to that, but yeah, for right now, let's get to these emails because wow, finally emails. Yeah, we have we have three emails. Uh, we had we had a couple more, but they were more just telling us, uh, you know, how awesome we are and how good of a job we're doing. So we don't need to read a, those, but we thank you for those. We we love hearing how great we are. So <laughs> keep it coming. Uh, yeah, I do. Um, oh crap! The only thing I forgot is so before we get into our full on emails, I did want to make a redaction to our. Uh, last episode of the podcast, we had given a shout out to um, to the Animorphs Audiobook Project. Yeah, so we had given. I, I accidentally closed the email, but yeah, we had given a shout out to the Animorphs Audio Project, and we had accidentally given the credit uh, to another person who is just a cast member of it, and I'm sure he's helping out behind the scenes as well. But it is actually Justin Kohler who is uh, the main, you know, producer behind this audiobook project and, and the main push for it. So uh, it's centered around Richard's Animorphs Forum, which we also, you know, gave a shout out to. But they're starting up the project again. They have, I think, a bunch of episodes already recorded, and they might go back and re-edit those or, or revise them. But they're trying to do uh, just a revitalization of this whole project. And they're starting with Megamorphs number one. So they're still casting for that. Head over to Richard's Animorphs Forum. It's on Reddit, too. Yeah, it's, on, it's linked on Reddit as well. And uh, you can audition for a bit part and a much larger part later on down the road. So check that out and, you know, give them your support. I'm thinking about doing that. <laughs> it would be cool if you were a character in that. Who would you want to be? Uh, probably just the bit parts. I think I would audition for every hork or Taxon line of dialogue because most of their stuff is just incoherent gibberish screaming. <laughs> I would like to play the entire Council of Thirteen. <laughs> okay. All- <laughs> let's read an email so our first email is from Shara Lint and she basically just wanted to drop us an email and said hello Mitchell hello Coleman just wanted to drop you an email and let you guys know that I thoroughly enjoy your podcast I've been an avid see also obsessed Animorphs fan since I discovered the series when I was about 11 I was more than excited when I found this podcast and just wanted you to know that I think you guys are doing the series justice in your critiques and discussions. I sincerely hope this is something you plan to do for the whole series. I personally cannot wait for your thoughts on the David trilogy and the books that 
get us more into the relationship between Axe, Elfanger, and, Tob- and Tobias. Last one, <laughs> this is the part I find funny. I also wanted you to know that I've sent a link to your podcast website to Kay Applegate's Twitter account and to Michael Grant's as well, her husband. Uh, I once, I wasn't sure if you had thought to do so, but my thinking is this. If I had created something as long ago as 1994 and there were people willing to invest time, energy, money into bringing it back to life and relevancy in the ways that you two have, I'd want to know about it. Thanks for reading. Shara Lynn. So... Thank you, Shara, for <laughs> for sending our uh, podcast to Kay Applegate's uh, attention. Huh. Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad. No, we don't have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I don't know if we had any fixed plans for doing that eventually, but I think uh, I think maybe we thought if we got a certain amount of listeners and a certain amount of ad support or something down the line, maybe, uh, maybe we'd hit her up to do an on-air interview, but... You know, I don't even know if she'd like our podcast. We're uh, we're a little crass sometimes. And uh... wow, well, think about this, right? K. A. Applegate could be listening right now. K. A. Applegate. Hi, Catherine. Catherine, if you're listening to me right now, I just want you to know: if you ever thought about leaving your husband and uh, <laughs> running away with anybody, I don't think I don't think that's flattering. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's options out for out there for her if she wanted to. I could co-write a book series, too. If you ever need any beta readers for your next project... Uh, oh, us, yeah. We'll, we'll read anything. We'll, we'll form a podcast around it. <laughs> you want to you wanna write another book about... What was that last one about? Chimps and elephants? Baby elephants, like, getting along or something? Whatever she wrote last time. I'll, I'll read it, and I'll do a podcast on it. Just let us know. <laughs> you are offending her right now by not even knowing what she's written. <laughs> <laughs> she's written tons of things, and I, I'm sure I would love them all. Oh, yeah. She, oh, man, that was one thing that uh, I learned by, by checking out her Wikipedia page is she has written more than I even knew, and I'm sure more than a lot of the fans no, I knew, of Animorphs I knew even been know. she writing quite a ton. Uh, I mean, I didn't know about that Making Out series that you were talking about. but um... I didn't know about it until I looked at it a couple months ago. Yeah, no, I, I know she's been winning uh, some awards left and right for her uh, last book, and, and she's been doing really well, so. Yeah, well, the point is, I envy her life, because she's been writing basically for the last, I don't know, what, 30 years? Just nonstop, and uh, that is that is a goal that I one day wish to achieve. Right now, I'm only putting out about a book a year. So our next email is from Kevin Wilkinson, and uh, he says, Hey guys, first of all, I love your podcast, exclamation point. (laughs) I think you're doing a great job at bringing up important elements of the books and having fun with it. A couple of questions, and I assume you're down to answer these questions? Mitch? Uh, Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Questions. His first question. How far did each of you stop reading? Did you read the final five books to know how it ends? Question mark? (laughs) Yes, both of us have read at least the last five books. Um, maybe a little bit more than that, but, um, I think we've, we've pointed out numerous times that we both stopped reading around kind of the same point. Um, for me, it was, it was, uh, the, the very first Homicron book. That's immediately where I stopped. And I remember, I remember exactly why I stopped too, because this is when I was getting into about, uh, sixth grade, maybe seventh grade. And, um, see, my dad used to take me to the bookstore, like, Every month we'd go to Barnes and Noble and I'd buy the next Animorphs book. And um, at this point in my life, and it's so relevant to this book that we just read, The Stranger, because it was when my parents were getting divorced, that my mom moved me to a new town so I could no longer go to the bookstore every month with my dad. 
And uh, I think just by chance, one one time he took me there and um, I saw that the next Animorphs book to come out, to the, the next one for me to read, was a Cassie book with her turning into an anteater on the cover and just looked ridiculous and it sounded stupid like it, you know, didn't affect the overall plot. So I skipped that month and then from there on, uh, I, I, I just didn't pick up the series. Totally forgot about it. Yeah, and as I've said in the past, uh, mine was just more of a hodgepodge. I would get whatever ones I could find at the library or, or at that Scholastic Book Fair. and I read most of the beginning ones in order and then skipped around through the 20s and 30s and 40s. Uh, and then read the final six books uh, straight after each other. And I pretty much hit all the Megamorphs and all the Chronicles as well. I don't know how that handled out. I don't remember much of the Horpidier Chronicles, so maybe I just skimmed through that one. But um, pretty much, yeah. I mean, we, we've read a fair equal amount. I think we've both spent a little time on the Animorphs wiki and uh, kind of filled in the gaps of missing knowledge that we didn't have. Somehow. So. I mean, you can tell. We're pretty knowledgeable. I mean, you've been listening to this. We know, <laughs> we know what we're talking about. What's question two? Question two. The TV show is bad, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on each season arc overall. Just not too much time. Oh, man. Yeah, well, it, it won't be too much time because, honestly, I don't think I've seen every episode of the TV show. And even when I did, it was seriously during its initial run back in, you know, 98 or whenever it was. So I, I honestly have very, very few memories from the show other than what we pointed out in the last episode was they did the, that end scene really well. And it's actually, I included it on the website. If you go to the uh, the the episode six website you can see that that video clip yeah in the show and i've seen the first three or four episodes um i watched them when they first came out i was really excited about it and even as a kid i was pretty disappointed I was... yeah oh i i remember how disappointed i was too after the the first episode it was like that was before you know superhero movies and and these you know movies we really build up in our heads of with the hype machine and everything uh, I was actually really disappointed that they changed so much in the first episode from the book, yep. I, like with the Homer stuff running after him. And I was I as a little kid, I was being a book nerd and, and being like, they changed it. Uh. Right. This I mean, this was a time, you know, before the Internet really mm-hmm. took off, before nerds were complaining on Internet forums. And yeah, I still remember the soul crushing disappointment I felt at realizing well i guess they're just gonna morph their clothes and ignore that yeah <laughs> well i guess this is the best the andalite's gonna look on this show yeah we'll we'll see later on uh if we get more into the tv show as far as doing some actual reviews or something or some commentary tracks we'll, we'll, we'll see how that plays out I, i'm not making any promises now but... if there's a demand for it i would say oh Maybe there's we'll, a demand we'll do something with it um so question number three I'm a member of the Animorphs audiobook project and was wondering if you guys would Whoa. review them if they come out in time with your current book. <laughs> Wait, review the their audiobook project? I, I think so. Wouldn't that be pretty similar to reviewing? I mean, listen to what you're asking here, Kevin. You're asking Oh, yeah, this, to... this is dangerous. You don't want us critiquing, like, your guys' acting and stuff. That's <laughs> Yeah, I mean... <laughs> That's just going to open up a can of worms. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be great for a book series, but, um, you know... We actually work in film and TV, so I mean, this, you want us to review your acting, we're going to review some acting. I don't, I don't know if you actually want that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, and, and it seems like that would take even more of a, a sizable chunk of our time that we're dedicating to this podcast. 
Yeah. God, what's my wife doing right now? It's, it's, it's 11 <laughs> o'clock at night. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll wrap this up. But, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're probably not going to get around to that. But I'm So definitely... no, your idea is bad and you should feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely interested in listening to them and possibly enjoying them as a fan. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I would love to check out um, book six of your guys' audiobook project. I yeah. think that would be a great time. And the last part of his email is basically uh, he put out tons of little uh, reprint differences um, that oh, cool. we asked for. Um, should we go through them all or should we just list them on the on the site? Or, or well, they're we quick. Read he, them to he, ourselves he really only did the invasion and the message. I think those are the only ones he got. Oh, okay. Let's, let's hear them then. So the invasion, we already talked about this. It's the fact that in the reprint, they changed it so Jay couldn't thought speak while he was human. Uh, yep. So we, we talked about that. We covered that. So thanks for pointing that out. Um, and then the message, uh, apparently they removed Marco's Baywatch line and it's now oh. girl who lifeguards at the beach instead of saying Baywatch. <laughs> so that's what? Boring. Yeah. Girl who lifeguards did they, at the beach. did they just send it through a computer to replace <laughs> text? What? I don't know. And it doesn't they, sound like any thought went into that. <laughs> yeah. Well, this one sounds better. Uh, they also reference, they still reference the VHS uh, you know, recording to VHS like they did. But then yeah. Marco calls it out as this prehistoric technology, and Jake says not everyone has a DVR. <laughs> oh, wow. Huh. So they just added a line to that one instead of changing it. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's creative. See, that's what they should have should be doing with these reprints is is building little moments like that. Make the books right? longer. That's I don't, I'm fine with that. I'm telling you, Animorphs Omnibus. That's what we want, Scholastic. You're messing this up. Yeah. And then the last thing uh, was just he's, he pointed out that Cassie just listened to music on the bus uh, instead of a seat, uh, disc player or whatever she had before. Oh, wow. Awesome. Thank. Oh, my gosh. Thank this guy, because that was something I specifically wanted to know about. Yep. So we we got it. Uh... Awesome. Is that, do we have one more email or? I thought we did, but I think I think the third email is just uh, Justin Kohler reminding me about the audiobook project. So, oh. <laughs> very, uh, very adamant that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, 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 we did get a third email. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. Let's hear it. So we got an email from Austin uh, Sevner, who I found out is pretty close to me in Texas. He's just right there on the corner, over in Fort Worth, and and works nearby. So that's kind of cool. But he uh, he lets know he's, he says uh, I've I've been amassing a pretty sweet collection of these books for the past three months or so and have gotten some duplicates in the process. So if you're in a buy and looking for one, in the coming weeks, you know, I can hit them up. So I might steal a bunch of books from them. Um, and then he oh, also, nice. yeah. And then he also said, uh, I think it's interesting that there's a bunch of people out there around the same age that read these and are revisiting them in their mid to late 20s. Or maybe the internet just makes it easy for weirdos to find each other. I don't know. I think you guys mentioned the EEW article that was published recently. I was surprised to find it after Googling the word Animorphs for the first time in my life this past December. Not long after it was written. I'm 28, the upper edge of the age range mentioned in the article. I sort of wonder if this is part of some common quarter-life crisis we're all having. But try not to think about it too much because I'm having a lot of fun uh, rereading and collecting these. If you guys feel the same way, I think it'd be an interesting topic to talk about on the podcast. If not, or either way, I'll try and email some thoughts on the books that you're about to hit up for your listener email. So... Thank you, Austin, for that email, and I agree. We're all having midlife crises and enjoying great sci-fi. No, I'd like to think that the Animorphs have always been on our minds. 
but um at least in the case of you and I uh we we desperately wanted a reason to go through and reread the series but we knew that if we were to just do this by ourselves on our own um sure I guess we'd probably enjoy it but um we wanted it to be a little bit more special than that and I think by the two of us reading these books kind of together uh over the course of a week and then sitting down and chatting about them um I, th I think that's just the best way that we can do it and clearly other people enjoy hearing us talk about it um you know it's, so i know we've chosen the right way yeah and it's weird because um you know i put i put a lot of stock in the harry potter series because i started reading those when i was 11 and so i kind of grew with the books but honestly I haven't stopped thinking or talking or referencing the Animorphs books since I read them when I was even younger than that. I mean, I've, I've been reading these books and, and thinking about them, and they've influenced my writing and my career and everything. I mean, they've, they've been a huge part of my life, and they've just always kind of been on the back burner. Um, so it, it is really weird to now be doing a podcast, but it also feels pretty comfortable and natural, so... You know, and I also think that I, I, I truly think that Animorphs fans are just they're they're so much more diehard than uh fans for other things. I mean, you could be a, a Zelda fan or you can be a Mario fan or whatever, but um Animorphs fans, they're they're really into into the series and into the books. Well, I think it's because we were given the series that we we were given to them as kids. And they were written by adults without any pandering or anything like that. Now, you can't say that they were – they weren't like these rated R books or anything. But they were written by an adult, and it seems like she was writing something that she would want to enjoy. And she wasn't dumbing it down or anything. Um, so I think when you have a series like that, it just sticks. And you can enjoy it as an adult. You can enjoy it as a kid. And it's a great universe. It's an amazing universe that so very few people know about. And I think it's kind of like the Firefly fan base or something, you know, a show that was canceled before its time. Uh, and they just want to tell other people how good it is because just telling them it's the Animorphs, you know, that title alone scares a bunch of people off. And, oh, it's a bunch of uh, teenagers who turn into animals. Yeah, it scares other yeah. people off. A lot of people get hung up on that concept and not the fact that this is a terrible, brutal, awful war story. Yeah, a very set very much in the real world as much as it can. Uh, granted, we haven't gotten to Atlantis yet, but uh, for the most part, it's a fairly realistic series that's uh, very cruel to its protagonists. So, and that that is that is why I've I've said it before. I'll say it again. Scholastic K. A. Applegate, please listen to me. Rebrand this, reprint it for older audiences because now it can be. The young adult novel market is so huge these days. What with Hunger Games, Twilight, Harry Potter, all that stuff animorphs could be right in there stealing a slice of that pie yeah and you know what we'll we'll shoot a book trailer for you apparently that's something we do now so <laughs> so anyway so yeah that's that wraps up the emails this week thank you for actually sending those through and uh we'll keep reading them and referencing them and uh belittling you on the air uh <laughs> as long as you keep sending them yes emails and um come out to come out to reddit come out and chat with us um we uh Start. We we post the episodes on reddit.com slash r slash animorphs um, every week, and I I'd like to 
have that be kind of a collecting or a collecting spot for people to come chat. Yeah, I, I agree completely. But uh, I think that'll do it for this week, and we will wrap it up and say our goodbyes. But thank you, everyone, for listening and continuing to listen and supporting us so far. We will keep going until one of us dies. And be sure to let us know uh, what you think about the Megamorphs, because Andalite's gift, next time on ThoughtSpeak. Oh, yeah, we're super excited about it. (laughs) I am very excited about it. Yeah, so if you don't mind, uh, go ahead and uh, jump over to our iTunes and leave us a review or, or Stitcher, either one. That helps expand the audience of the show uh check out our website at thoughtspeakcast.com you can see all of our different ways you can download the show and and get it from there email us at thoughtspeakcast at gmail.com or hit us up on twitter uh at morphcast all these are great ways to get in touch with us and let us know your thoughts they're all viable options oh completely we also have a facebook which is fairly easy to find as well so did i mention reddit (laughs) yeah so uh, that, that'll do it for us. Uh, we appreciate you coming out here and, and listening. And we will see you next time. This is Coleman. And this is Mitchell, signing out. Have a good one, everybody.